Um, y'all, welcome. Welcome to REF, first REF this semester. Uh, tonight, ooh, that's tricky. Um, I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> tonight we're in Hamilton, uh, but next week we'll be in Murphy, which is just along the way over there. Uh, and I just want to say that REF is a place um, for people who are very tired. Uh, REF, UNC is a very busy place. Um, it's a place for people who are very skeptical of Christianity. Uh, it's a place for people who are very committed to Christianity. It's a place for wherever you're coming from, however you're coming tonight, uh, that we want to be a community for you um, and friends to you and because we know that Jesus has loved us and been our friend first. Um, so however you're coming, I want to say welcome. I want to say that this uh, semester we're going through uh, stories in the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the collection in the New Testament that tells us about Jesus. We're reading those and seeing how Jesus is meeting the people that he comes across. Um, sometimes beggars, sometimes wedding parties, uh, sometimes thieves, sometimes very religious people, sometimes very skeptical people. How is he meeting those people, and what does his meeting with them say to us about our lives here at UNC? And we'd love for you to join us in that. Um, so that's what we're doing tonight, <laughs> encountering Jesus and walking through uh, what he's doing in John chapter 2. So let's dive into this. Um, I don't know, when you think about power couples, uh, who you think about, I know, hard right turn. <laughs> what you think about with power couples, um, back in the day, there was Benifer, Ben Affleck, and Jennifer Lopez, way back in the day. Uh, now, the ones that I think about is like uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce, super power couple, like them together are like the Avengers of hip-hop. I mean, you cannot stop them. Uh, <laughs> Mixing a lot of things in pop culture right now. Uh, But in case you didn't know, this last summer, uh, Beyonce dropped an album just kind of out of nowhere. Like she just, like an Avenger. Uh, She dropped this album just out of nowhere. And it was just super raw, uh, really, I mean, almost confessional about what's going on in her life and her relationship with Jay-Z, the other half of that power couple. And in it, she's feeling all these emotions, and the whole album is just bursting with kind of the things that she's feeling and experiencing in her marriage. And so it's a ton, in some way, it's kind of a love album, because she's looking at Jay-Z and saying, I love you, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm here for you. And on the other hand, it's an angry album, where she is furious, because the guy's been cheating on her. And here, I'm going to read you some some lyrics from Lemonade. <laughs> Because this is how all good sermons begin. <laughs> this is uh, this is Bay. <laughs> Hold up, they, your lovers, don't love you like I love you. Slow down, they don't love you like I love you. Back up, they don't love you like I love you. Step down, they don't love you like I love you. Here's the chorus. What's worse, looking jealous or crazy, jealous or crazy, or like being walked all over lately, walked all over lately. I'd rather be crazy. What is, uh, what's Bay feeling right there? <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, she's feeling so many raw emotions over this man. That she loves him. She's given her life to him. They've had kids together. They've built a life together. And she is furious with him. And she's feeling both these things at the same time. And that is such a normal part of the human experience. To feel two things at once. I think that's relevant for us tonight because as you read this story about Jesus, he is at a wedding grappling with the same thing. He is thinking about love. I'm sure on some level doing what all single people do at weddings, which is thinking about their own wedding, thinking about what his own bride would be like one day. And his heart, I think, must be pulled in two different directions, between fear 
and joy. Fear because on the one hand he knows that in order to get to that wedding day, he has to do something crazy. He's going to have to pay to God something that only God can pay. He's going to face the wrath of his father. And the thought of that is frightening to him. But that's what love does, right? It makes you do crazy stuff. And on the other hand, we'll see that his fear is the means to the end of true and lasting joy. A true party that is so wonderful and awesome and enduring that every sad and terrible and broken thing in the world will be eclipsed by Jesus' love for his bride. So Jesus is staying at this wedding and feeling both joy and fear at the same time. And for many of you, I think maybe that's where you're at tonight as well. That this week, for all of us, feels like a really confusing time. Because it is full of joy and fear for us. On the one hand, there's, it's full of joy. Like, for some of y'all, you have finally made it. College, the big dance. New people, new friends, cool classes. What if I meet my husband? What if I meet my wife? <laughs> Nothing like a Carolina grad, am I right? But... <laughs> I married a girl from Auburn, so I can't really talk about that. But <laughs> Don't forget the great clubs. Did you know that you can sign up for anything here? I mean, anything. You can play Quidditch here. How is that even possible? And you've got the freedom to make your own schedule and a chance to go someplace and figure out who you are and to start over, to have big ideas with passionate people, and the four-year party is about to start, right? Like, there's joy there. But, but on the other hand, there's also fear, what if this is just like high school? Like, what if I get lost in a sea of people? What if I come in here and I find out that I'm really the person that I was afraid that I was, and there's not like a cooler college version of me? What, what if I'm not as smart as I thought that I was when I was valedictorian of a class of 10? What will I be known for? Right? Someone in this room was that person. What if the party doesn't really get off the ground here? Like, there's fear, too. Like, and this isn't just the first years either. Y'all, seniors are feeling the same thing. Joy over the return of new friend, or of old friends and the place they love. And fear the fact that this is the final lap. Like, the last year at one of the best places on earth. There's fear. Where are you at in the spectrum right now? Because Jesus wants to meet you there. And what I want to suggest to you tonight is that in this story, Jesus' crazy love is dealing with both the fear and the joy that everyone in life experiences in the first week, in the first semester, throughout your life? And I have two questions for us tonight as we read this together. How does Jesus bring joy? How does he bring joy? And how does he deal with our fear? How does he deal with our fear? So first of all, the joy. Did you catch the last verse there? Did you catch the last verse? This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Y'all, if you didn't know, a sign is something that points beyond itself to some greater underlying truth or reality, And John is telling us that this is the sign that's a pointer of who Jesus is. The first signifier of his purpose, his power, his glory. Why? Why is that? Because he's at a wedding that is a disaster. You see, in ancient Israel, a wedding party didn't last for like a couple of hours. It lasted for days. And it was a blowout party that the entire town took part in. So to throw a party like this and then to run out of wine on the front end means like social disgrace. For decades. Like you're going to be sitting with your in-laws at some holiday in the future and your mother-in-law is just going to be letting you remember that your wedding ran out of wine. Or you're going to walk down the street and your friend is going to see you and he's going to make eye contact with you and he's going to feel bad for you that you ran out of wine at your wedding. It's a disaster. The party is over. The party is over. 
And yet at the same time, it points to the reason that Jesus came, for joy. I mean, look at the size of the jugs that are holding the water that becomes wine. Six jugs, each between 20 and 30 gallons. Uh, I ran the math on that, and depending on how big the jug actually was, Jesus is making something like 600 to 900 bottles of super good wine. Uh, villages at this time, super small. Maybe there's 40, 50 people at this wedding. If there were 600 bottles of wine, that's like 15 bottles of wine a person. Y'all, that's a lot of wine. <laughs> that's a lot of wine. It's incredibly generous. It's incredibly gracious. And why does that matter to us tonight? Because of this. I think that sometimes when we enter into college, we have a tendency to think, you know, I want to go to college. I want to have fun. And to do that, I need to drop, like, this Christianity thing. Like, it's too restrictive, it's too youth groupy, it's too insular, it's a little backward. But when Jesus changes water into wine, he's showing us that he's the Lord of wine. He's the guy who's giving the wine away in literally buckets. And I wonder if when we think about following Jesus in college, if we have a very good concept of what real joy and real fun like, actually could be. There would be no good for the people at this party to say, man, Jesus, I love, I'm talking about love, the wine that you've just made. But I really kind of don't want you here at this party. I love the things that Jesus made. I love the things that he's given. But I don't want Jesus. If you get anything from the story, then get this. That without Jesus, wine sours. And water never becomes a thing that it could have been. Which is really good wine right? That's the goal of all water. Uh, (laughs) We might be able to go for a little while in college and live on the fumes of the good things that God's given. But when you cut off the means of joy, the parties, the friendships, the good times from the source of joy, from Jesus, you just imposed a time limit on yourself and on the kind of fun and joy that you can have. When Jesus makes himself the wine master here, he's shown that he is the source of that joy and that fun. That means that, yeah, you can be a Christian in college and really follow Jesus and have some of the funnest, craziest, most laugh-out-loud nights that you've ever had. And this could be fun and joyous and actually deepen your connection to other people and help you to actually figure out who you are in community and to serve people in an enjoyable way, in a way that you don't have to hide from other people later. And most, most importantly of all, it's connecting you to the source of joy, to Jesus. Um, I heard a story recently about uh, a lady who lived in New York, and she lived in kind of one of these big New York high-rises, and she had, as a pet, like a giant golden retriever. And she came home one day, and this golden retriever is dead. Like, totally dead. and <laughs> Not halfway, all the way. <laughs> and so she's in a high-rise apartment in New York. There's not like a backyard where you can just kind of dig a hole and drop him in. She doesn't know what to do with the body, and it's a big dog, and... I think it's the summer, and so, you know, what happens with that. And so, I know, it's so sad. <laughs> but also a little funny. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so she calls her vet, and she's like, what do I do with a dog that's died in New York City? And the vet says, well, you know, like, if you come and you bring the dog to us, we'll dispose of it. And so she says, okay. But the problem is, the vet lives on the other side of town. Like, the other side of New York Island. And so, this lady just happens to have, like, a big canvas duffel bag. Like, one of those giant moving bags. Yeah, you see where I'm going with this. She takes the dog, she stuffs it into the bag, zips it up, puts it on, like, goes down the elevator, walks down to the street. It's kind of like, 
doing like this because it's a it's a pretty big heavy dog. She goes down into the subway and she gets to the subway turnstile and she's like stuck. Because the dog is too heavy to like lift over the turnstile. And the turnstile, if you've ever been in New York, is really tight. Like you'll get caught in it sometimes if you're not careful. And so she can't get the dog through the turnstile and she's stuck. And she looks around and this guy comes up to her and says, Hey, miss, I can tell you're stuck here with this big duffel bag. If you want, you go through. I'll take the bag. I'll lift it over and I'll hand it back to you when you go through the turnstile. She's like, great. This is awesome. And so she drops the bag, turns around. He shoves her, pushes her back over the turnstile, grabs the bag, and runs away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she stands up, brushes herself off, and thinks, thanks, mister. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine looking at that guy's face when he opens up that duffel bag wherever, like in some shady back alley, thinking, oh, there's going to be something amazing in here, like... I don't know, jewels or DVDs or whatever. And it's a dead golden retriever? <laughs> what do you even do with that? It doesn't matter because her problem is solved. <laughs> Y'all, when we ditch Jesus, I know, this is a connection right here. When we ditch Jesus, we might get the thing that we are after, but we won't, it won't have the life in it. It's cut off from that life. And ultimately it just is going to rot on us. So how does Jesus come to bring us joy and start to deal with our fear? How does he deal with our fears? By losing his joy. Look at what he says to his mom here. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Kind of a cold way of speaking there, right? Jesus is not someone who's easily shaken, but he's shaken here. What's going on? He's thinking about his death as he looks at these jars. Because if we look at it, they're sacrificial jars. He's thinking about sacrifice. What it's going to cost him, not just to bring wine at this wedding, but the joy that that wine points to. You see, the washings, the ceremonial sacrifice of the Old Testament, they had to be repeated over and over again. They'd always been pointing to their own insufficiency because, you know, if you have to wash and wash and wash over again, then the washing isn't really doing the thing it's supposed to do. They're pointing to the fact that they were assigned to something else. They were assigned to Jesus that they needed someone who would come and sacrifice and cleanse God's people forever. And that's exactly what Jesus means when he's talking about his hour. He's not telling the time. He's talking about the bigger hour, the hour that's coming when he's going to die on a cross and he would do for people what no religion, no system could ever do. Make them clean in front of God. You know, lots of people say, you know, I can't stand the idea that people are sinful or that God's wrath against sin is fair or the need for, like, a blood atonement. I find those things deeply offensive. But I love Jesus, and I love how he loves people, and if we just imitated him, I think the world would be a better place. You know, I think you're right. I mean, if you did imitate him, like the world would be a better place. But there are lots of problems with this way of thinking about Jesus. And the big one is this. Think about this story, that if Jesus is thinking about his death at a wedding feast, when everyone is drinking the wine that he just made, and I'm sure like patting on the back and saying thanks, then he must have always, always been thinking about his death. It must have been something that just hung over him all the time. He must have been thinking about how necessary it was, which means that he could not have thought of himself as just a good example to be imitated. Would the world be better if everybody imitated Jesus? Yes. The problem is that for fallen people in a fallen world, that's impossible. Not, not exactly anyway, right? Like our motivations our actions, our words, our thoughts, they're, 
they're not there. Like, the bar is just too high. But what this story shows is that from the very beginning, Jesus didn't come to show us how to save ourselves, but to save us himself. That he came to die, to shed his blood, to take up the cup of God's curse that we deserve, so that we would take up the cup of blessing and love that's rightfully his. Like, why would someone need to die to save my life? Because we've, we've ruined our lives in a lot of ways. I mean, think about this. If your car was here at UNC and it was parked in the parking lot behind Hamilton and you went out tonight and you saw it and it was on fire and someone had smashed out the windows and slashed the tires and then compacted it into like one of those cubes, like what would you do with that, right? Like what do you even start to do with that? I think for most of us, the very least we would ask is that whoever did that would like pay to have that car replaced, that that would be fair. Or maybe on the other hand, if you're an incredibly merciful person, uh, that you would, you would pardon the other person and you would pay for the cost of that car. But there is no scenario where someone doesn't pay for that car. That you can be either merciful or you can be fair. But either that person is paying or you're paying. And what we need to understand about Jesus is the same as the reason for why he's sad at this wedding party. That what he's thinking about is not the next thing he's going to teach, even though he's a teacher. He's not thinking about the next miracle he's going to do, even though he's a miracle worker. That the thing that he's thinking about is his sacrifice. Because that's primarily who he is and what his life is about. All the teaching points to that and explains it. All the miracles point to that and show it. And if we're to understand Jesus, then we need to understand our need for his sacrifice. Because here's what I think for many of us is where we live. This is where I live a lot of the time anyway. That our deepest fear is not that we will miss out on fun. Though FOMO is part of our deal. That's part of the fear. But the deeper fear is that we're as messed up as we sometimes feel that we are. That we've ruined it, right? Like, why do you work so hard? Why do you have to be right all the time? Why do we worry so much about what we look like? Why do we shift so much blame to people from another group or another person and say, this is what's wrong with the world? Because deep down, we're all afraid that we're as messed up as we sometimes feel. And we don't want to have to deal with the consequences of that because where do you even start? Everyone has this sense deep down of being dirty and the fear that if they were known, then the dirt would be exposed. And what Jesus is distressed about at this wedding is what it will cost him to make people like you and me clean. Not because he can't or he won't, but because he can and he will. He's thinking about the cross and the cost of accomplishing the reality that that ceremonial jug points to. And that's exactly what this story is important. Because it shows us the nature of God's grace, and what that grace is meant to lead us to. To joy, to wine. In his person and work, Jesus is dealing with our deepest fears, which gets triggered by things like going to college, or starting college again. If people really knew me, will they like me? We're all walking around and constantly asking that question. In a million ways, in a thousand different clubs and events, we're asking the question, can you see me and like me? And at the same time, it deals with our longing for joy and excitement and fun. That there is a person who sees you and knows you and gets deep down in your mess. And instead of saying, yuck, and unfriending you on Instagram, says, come here. I'll deal with this for you, and then I want to throw you a party. All you need to know is your need to be cleansed. And to see him as the one who cleanses it. So how will you deal with your dirt? How will you deal with your fear? Like, will you study it off? Will you work it off? Will you rush it off? 
Because if you come to Him, Jesus will wash it off. What if I've come to college and just gone totally wild and run as far away from everything that I grew up with as possible? What if on the outside people tell me I look beautiful, but on the inside I feel ugly and afraid? What if I'm so consumed about the next thing in school that that's all I can think about? I'm just totally wrapped up in myself. What if this is the place where I'm finally found out? Beloved, there is more mercy and joy in Jesus than there is sorrow and sin and fear in you. You see, we spend our whole lives trying to fit in and find a certain seat at some table, the cool table, the rich table, the athlete table, the liberal table, the conservative table, the party table. I mean, walking up to a stranger and putting your name on a table, isn't that what Fall Fest is all about, right? <laughs> People are always trying to figure out who is in and who is out, who is right and who is wrong. And some of you all I know probably thought that when you left that in high school that that was gone forever. But guess what? You didn't. Different tables, slightly different rules, same basic game. That's not a college thing. That's not a high school thing. That is a life thing. This is happening all the time. And unless you know who you are and wrap the core part of who you are into something that is stable and doesn't change and has more love for you than you have for yourself, then you will spend the rest of your life flitting from table to table. Or finally getting to a table and feeling like, you know, the people that I really want to be sitting with aren't here and here, but over there. And I need to ditch these losers and get to them. And inevitably, what happens when we do that? We compromise ourselves, we burn ourselves out, we become deeply cynical about finding anything in life that is meaningful or satisfying. Like, I'll do anything to get in this fraternity or the sorority, in that department with that professor, with this cool, seemingly sophisticated group of upperclassmen, with this campus ministry or that campus ministry. Different tables, different rules, same game. But here's something that is helpful, that's been helpful for me to think about, is that Paul, an apostle, wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. If there was ever somebody who had a claim on being so messed up that God would turn away from him, this was the guy, and he spent his whole life being amazed that God did not. And he says in a letter to a church in Ephesians, he says, Right now, we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. Not in the future, but right now. Do you know that if, you're, if you believe in Jesus, you're seated with Him right now? Don't waste your time at UNC. Don't waste your life. That in Christ, there's more than enough joy and fun to have an incredible four years here. And in Him, there's more than enough love and stability to know who you are and where you sit. That you can be Greek, you can be top of your major, you can be ultra-sophisticated and cool, and when you walk into a room, people can part like the Red Sea. Or you can be none of those things. But you can be in Christ. And wherever you go, and whatever you do, you are with Him, and He is with you, because you are seated with Him at His table. Because if you're a Christian, do you know where you're sitting right now? Not at the cool table, not at the conservative table, not at the liberal table, not at the gay or the straight table. You are sitting at the wedding table. You are Christ's beloved. And what He has for you is more than enough joy and light and love to deal with all of your fear and your insecurity and your longing for joy and fun. And my invitation to you tonight is to come to RUF and to stay and learn more about who He is and what He has for you because it's more than we could possibly hope or think or dream or imagine. And as always, 
That's my invitation to you. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you that you send your son Jesus to love us, to know us, to die for us, to make us clean. Lord, that we don't have to worry about what table we're sitting at when we go into Lenore. And we don't have to worry about what table we're sitting at when we're um, eating a meal by ourselves in our room. But Lord, we know that we're with you, that you're with us, that whether we feel that or not, that's true. Um, that Lord Jesus, that you love us and that you have more joy and affection and mercy for us than we have for ourselves in many times. Lord, help us um, to know you, to know that love, to live in it, to pursue people out of it, to care for this campus out of it, and to go out from here with confidence, with peace, and with the assurance that if God is for us, then nothing can be against us. In your name we pray. Amen. We stand and sing with us.